Father Moses said in Psalm 90, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or, if due to strength, 80 years. Their pride is but labor and sorrow, but soon it is gone, those years. Soon it is gone, and we fly away. And then a little later on in that same passage, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The older we get, the more astonished we are with how quickly the years pass. When we were young, uh, a year was a long time. As we get older and further down the path of life, it seems like each year, the passage of a year, well, it just comes, it comes so fast. We're into a new year, and before we know it, we're out of it and into another. Uh, life is passing by quickly. And we take that phrase seriously because it's up to you, the span of life. Some have many, many years past 80. Some just have a, a few days on this earth. Some are stillborn. Uh, our times are in your hands. We don't know what number of days you have ascribed to us. But what we do know is that we want to walk in those days with wisdom. So this is why we're here, to open your book, to hear from you. We are surrounded by the opinions of uh, all kinds of people, uh, people in high places, people in uh, positions of influence, We are uh, living in an age of uh, deception and of lies from those who used to be trusted. They can't be trusted. So we look to you. We look to you and we look to your word because you are the God. You are the God who cannot lie. It doesn't say that you do not lie. It says you cannot lie. So we look to you. You made us. You created us. You put the whole world into existence. You created the worlds. You sustained the worlds. You own history. You existed before time. You created time. Time is one, is one of those gadgets on your Swiss Army knife. You are great. We are not. You have a plan. We also have a plan. Yours is superior. And you're up to something, and there is a plan for the ages. And you sent Christ to redeem us and to save us from our sin and to give us eternal life and to show us how to live and how to live with joy and how to live with peace and how to live with completeness in a broken, broken world among broken people. And we're all broken. But you've come to give us life and to give us life abundantly. This is why we're studying your book tonight. Give us teachable hearts. Help us to focus. Lay aside distractions. And give laser beam attention to what you want to say to us tonight. That would be our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I, uh, the thing I realized as we are in a new year, 2017, for some reason it kind of hit me that I graduated from high school 50 years ago. That's kind of a shock to my system, to tell you the truth. I remember my dad going to his 50th high school reunion. And I remember thinking, I wonder what it's like to be that old. Well, I'm finding it out. 50 years ago, I was in high school. Um, so I've been rolling that around a little bit, and we're going to have a reunion later in the year. And I, I was thinking about uh, some of the guys I went to high school with. And this week, I, I was thinking about a guy who was one of the best athletes. In fact, he was the best athlete in our class. Tremendous baseball player. Uh, had uh, major colleges all over the country after him. And uh, the guy had tremendous potential. Power, his power was unbelievable. And uh, he, he, uh, he got a full ride, went to Stanford. And uh, he had a great time at Stanford. Not, not playing baseball. Because <laughs> he didn't last long at Stanford. You, you know what happens. You know the drill. You get into college, and what do you do? You start partying. And uh, you got a great opportunity. Uh, the whole thing's covered. But, uh, man, you're away from home, and uh, your folks aren't telling you what time to come in. And, all, and he just kind of went crazy and partied, and uh, uh, his grades just dropped out, and then they threw him out. And it was at the height of the Vietnam War, and within a couple of months, he was snatched up and on his way to Vietnam. Um, I, I remember getting a call from a friend who said that uh, Bob was at Oakland Naval Hospital, and we lived in the Bay Area. I said, really, what happened? And he said, well, he's in pretty bad shape. And uh, so I went over to see him. And it had been months since he had been wounded. Uh, I walked in. He was coherent. He, he was actually uh, pretty calm and pretty engaging. And I said, so, so Bob, what happened? And he said, well, Steve, um, it was my first day there. And what happened was I, uh, I stepped on a landmine. And all the guys around me, because that landmine, the way it was constructed, it goes out. And the guys around me, I can't remember if he said six guys or seven or eight, I can't remember. They were all killed. I said, it's amazing you survived, isn't it? He goes, amazing. And then he threw back the covers off his bed. And all he had on were boxers. And the only thing I can tell you, it looked like he had zippers all over his body, zippers. Uh, a zipper here with here, and then this arm, same thing, chest, three zippers. It's where they went in to get shrapnel. Legs, back of his legs, back. Uh, he was gonna walk again, uh, baseball was, was over, but we just sat there for about, I don't know, 45 minutes for an hour and talked, and, and he said, you know, Steve, honestly, there was a wire 
He said, I, I've been over this a hundred times. He said, I never saw it. I thought I was paying attention, but I tripped that wire. Um, a number of years ago, I wrote a book up in my bedroom called Point Man. And it was a book for men, and the subtitle of the book was How a Man Can Lead a Family. If I were writing that book today, I would change the subtitle. I would change the subtitle from How a Man Can Lead a Family to How a Man Can Lead a Family in a Hostile Culture. Because, as we've talked about before, from where we were 30 years ago and where we are now, everything has changed. Where we were 10 years ago, where we were five years ago, where we were eight years ago, everything has changed. And not, and not for the better, for the worse. Uh, how a man can lead a family in a hostile culture? America has always been a place of religious liberty and freedom, but uh, in recent years, no. In fact, if you're a Christ follower, and it's clear that you are, you're going to get some heat, and you're going to get some flack. Uh, if you take a stand on uh, a principle, you might be called a hater, just simply because you're following Christ. That's never happened before in this country. Uh, if you think marriage is between a man and a woman, there's something wrong with you. You're not normal. You're a problem if you think marriage is between a man and a woman. Yet for thousands and thousands of years, in every culture on the face of the earth, there's only been one definition of marriage. It's between a man and a woman, period. But no longer. And if you don't agree to any kind of marriage, you're going to get some hostility. Gender. Gender is pretty, a pretty simple concept. <clears throat> I remember reading a book about 30 years ago by a psychologist in Marin County, the county north of San Francisco, a very wealthy county, very progressive, very liberal. Uh, and he was talking about, this was 30, 35 years ago, he was talking about feminism, he was talking about uh, the mindset of some who were even having a problem with gender, with male and female. This was 35 years ago. And talking about some extreme people with some extreme views, someone who he was counseling. Now, 35 years ago, this wasn't on the radar, but he was seeing the first shots across the bow. And I remember this person was a female, as he talked about her, and found herself pregnant and decided she was going to give that child, raise that child, not in a context of male or female, uh, if it's a boy, not give it, you know, toy soldiers, or if it's a girl, not make her play with uh, dolls, you know, none of that gender stuff. Uh, yet, when she went into labor, and when that baby was delivered, after all that pain and all that anguish and that baby came out, the first words out of her mouth was, what is it? What is it? Now, this guy wasn't a Christian, but he had enough sense to say, this is nonsense. And now it's an entire industry. 
And now people's lives are being broken and shattered and destroyed, left and right, by confusion over gender. You see, and if you say it's male, female, you're going to get some hostility. You see, this is where we are. Yeah, if I were to write Point Man now, it wouldn't be how a man can lead a family. It would be how a man can lead a family in a hostile culture. And, and I would pose that question. We're in a hostile culture. The question is, how do you lead a family in a hostile culture? There is an answer in Scripture, and it is Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd like you to turn with me, and specifically tonight we're going to hone in on verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. And we're going to start a new series tonight, and uh, I'm going to call this series Landmines. And if it had a subtitle, I would subtitle it, walking wisely in evil days, because this is where we are. Um, Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15, he says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Our days are evil. Uh, we, we are, I've, I've mentioned this before several times. In 1959, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, got up before his congregation, and Lloyd-Jones said to his congregation in 1959, he said, we are living in days of exceptional evil. At 1959. From, from our perspective, 1959 were the golden years. 59 was Father Knows Best. 50, 1959 was Bonanza. It was Little Joe and Hoss and Adam riding their horses around Lake Tahoe. I mean, the free speech movement in Berkeley hadn't even started in 59, as I recall. Oh, and by the way, that movement, the free speech movement, Mario Savio, which started at Berkeley, those same people that were behind that are the ones who are now attempting to suppress religious liberty. I love the names they come up with. So innocuous, so innocent. Free speech movement, really. That's totalitarianism. Uh, planned parenthood, really. Maybe planned murderhood. I, I don't need to delineate for you how evil is increasing. You see it every day. Uh, if you watched any football, if you watched any football on Fox, uh, they're pushing a new show, a new series. And I think the title of it, I turn down commercials always. I just do. I don't want to hear them. But there's, I think the show, someone had to remind me, it's called Mick. There is, uh, I know this, I read an article on it. 
they have a, a five-year-old boy who is transgender. This is in primetime television. You know, Jesus said something about those who lead little children down the wrong path. There'll be a millstone around their neck. And the price of that is eternal damnation. Unless they repent. Because that's wicked and that's evil. Now, there is confusion, and as Christian men in the gospel, <laughs> Jesus came to set captives free. But we're, leaving, we're living in evil days. My, my friend, Walt Heyer, I've told you about Walt. He's 75 years old. Uh, you're going to see him a lot this year uh, on the media. He's been on the media a lot. He was one of the first guys to declare himself transgendered. 25 years ago, one of the very first, had the surgery. Walked into my brother's church, introduced himself as Laura. And everybody thought he was Laura. And then after he felt self-safe for a couple of years, he came in and talked to my brother and said, I, I need to come clean with you. My name's not Laura, it's Walt. And I, 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 uh, I found Christ here, and I need to tell you the truth. And Jeff said, well, we're glad you're here. And they developed a relationship, and then Walt over the years, uh, I mean, the Lord really changed his life. Uh, he was a big-time exec with one of the Japanese car companies that was launching a, a luxury line way back then, and he was a big part of that. Smart guy. But uh, because of his background, because of the influence of his grandmother and the abuse of his dad, he was very confused. Found Christ, later remarried, keeps trying to change his name back to Walt, but the state of California won't let him. They'll let you do anything except what's right. But the Lord's given him a platform, and he wrote a book maybe 10 years ago, and Christian publishers didn't want to publish it, and somebody I knew in publishing, anyway, he I said, hey, I know that I'll vouch for this guy. You got to publish this thing. So they did. And then he called me and said, Steve, it's... He said, I'm, it's not selling. And I said, well, Walt, I mean, it's not like it's a Christian cookbook. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't have a huge audience. Well, he's got a huge audience now. And he's 75 years old. And God's using him to tell people the good news of Christ and that Christ redeems people. No matter what your situation, no matter what you, your condition, even in days of exceptional evil, the gospel is true. And Christ is saving people and putting their lives back together. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. It's a waste but be filled with the Spirit. I want to handle these four verses tonight. Back when I did Point Man, I basically made the statement that when a man gets serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about you. If you're just a moderate church-going guy, the enemy's not concerned with you because you're not having an influence. 
But when you get serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ and he becomes first in your life and you get serious about knowing him and knowing the scriptures and beginning to grow in your faith and going from immaturity to maturity, now you've got a target on your back. This is what happens. When a man gets serious about Christ, the enemy gets serious about taking you down. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And why are you here tonight? I would assume the vast, vast majority, we got a bunch of men here tonight. If, if this is being watched on the internet, they can only see me. we got a room full of guys here. Now, why are you guys here? Because you want to follow Christ, and you want to know the Scriptures, you want to grow in your faith, and you had a, it's Wednesday, and it's already been a tough week, and it's been a long day, and you started early, and here you are, and you fought traffic to get here. Why? Because you want to be a better Christian man. You want to be a better Christ follower. You want to be a better husband. You want to be a better father. You better want to be a, great, a, a better grandpa. You want to be a more mature man in Jesus Christ. You want to make a difference with your life. You're following Christ. So, note if you would, and eventually I'll find it. This always happens. You guys are waiting on me to find the text. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The only one he's trying to devour is the one who follows Christ. This is why we have to walk carefully. Two other things I said in Point Man at the beginning. That if you're serious about following Christ, you should know that the enemy has a twofold strategy. Number one. He wants to alienate and eventually sever the relationship that you enjoy with your wife. So if you are married, the enemy's plan is to take your marriage and decimate it. Uh, the scripture says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So what the enemy wants to do with every Christian man in this room, it doesn't matter if you've been married four weeks or four months or 44 years, doesn't matter. He never stops with the strategy. He wants to take the two who have become one and make them two again. Just know that. He's always coming after your marriage, trying to get in between you and your wife, separate, alienate, and you get so frustrated that it severs. Now, there's a legitimate cause for divorce that Jesus gave. But most Christian, quote-unquote, divorces are not for legitimate biblical grounds. They're for other grounds. The second strategy that I mentioned in that book was that the enemy wants to alienate and sever the relationship you enjoy with your kids. He's always trying to get in between a, a father and his son, his daughter. When our kids are small, when they're two, three, four, five, they think their daddy's on the moon. When they hit 12, 13, 14, 15, they want their daddies to go to the moon. You notice how hard adolescence is working with kids? Oh, yeah, it's not easy. You got to get connected. You got to get in there. You got to stay close. It's, you can get ambushed. I got ambushed during adolescence. Okay. Those are the two strategies of the enemy. In this passage we just read, Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15, there are four counter strategies. Uh, we've got men here. You're following Christ. Uh, most of you are married. Some of you are single. Uh, if you're single, you probably will be married. Find a godly young woman and marry her. Don't live with her, marry her. Uh, commit to her. 
for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. And you're going to get all of them. Get married. It'll make a man out of you. And you stay married till life. And divorce is not an option. If your visa bill, if you and your wife have an agreement that, you know, you stay in touch on finances, but you forgot to tell her something and she forgot to tell you something and your visa bill comes in at $29,000 this month and you always try to pay it off monthly, <laughs> but you got an issue. Uh, or sometimes the visa bill comes in and it's just 600 over, but you're trying to keep your budget. So when you're 600 over, isn't it an option for you to go down to the 7-Eleven and take a handgun and walk in and say, stick them up? And no, I don't want all, everything. Just give me, I need about $648. I got to pay my visa bill. Now you're laughing at that. Why are you laughing at that? Because the reason you're laughing at that is that that's not an option for you. As I look around, and it's, most of you guys have eliminated armed robbery <laughs> as an option in your life. You don't even think about it. That's not, that's not a default for you. That's not an You never even consider it. It's, see, we eliminate options all the time. When you get married, eliminate divorce as an option. So what happens? We start following the Lord. We start going through life. We've got leadership responsibilities. Um, the enemy's got a strategy. I gotta have a counter strategy. So we've, we've laid out his two strategies. Let me give you four counter strategies that we're going to find in this text, and we'll just work our way through them tonight. Uh, and all of these things have to do with looking out for the landmines, because they're out there. First counter strategy is this. Make wisdom a priority. Make wisdom a priority. We'll come back to this. Secondly, second counter strategy is you're seeking to be a Christian man in evil days. Second strategy, counter strategy. Realize your time is precious. Realize your time is precious. Number three, third counter strategy. Seek to understand God's will. Number four, don't be a drunk. Don't be a drunk. Now let's work our way through them. They're all in the text. So let's go back to Ephesians 5, verse 15. First principle is what? Make wisdom a priority. This is exactly what he says. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as what? Wise. That means make wisdom a priority. Where do you get wisdom? Turn with me to Psalm 1, please. This is a Bible study, so we're going to be looking at some scriptures. Psalm 1 is the intro to all 150 psalms, kind of sets out the, 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 the general rules, the general principles. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, 
nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with non-Christians. We do. You probably have non-Christians in your family. It's not that we get away from non-Christians. It's not that we shelter ourselves from people who aren't Christians. Some people, their view of Christianity, which is a skewered view and not a biblical view, is that you you go away from life. You get out of normal life and you isolate yourself just among people who believe and act just the way that you do. Uh, for whatever. You, you, you don't want to be with anybody who's different. You don't want to be with anybody who looks different. You don't want to be with anybody. Uh, you just don't want to be with anybody except the people you're comfortable with because you kind of think you've landed on truth and quite frankly you're superior. That's not a biblical concept. If you read the book of Galatians, you read through the epistles, the, the Lord calls all kinds of different people. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Uh, you've got Muslims. More, Muslims are coming to Christ by the thousands in the Middle East. There's a revival among Muslims. Does the media ever cover it? Are you kidding? No, because it's true. And people who were against Christ now are followers of Jesus. And they're dying for their faith. Uh, what, what the Lord does is that he takes people, broken people from different backgrounds and different tribes and different countries and different... And what he does, we have a commonality in Jesus Christ. There's, there's no Jew or Gentile in Christ. Uh, so it's not that we're running away from the world. We're being taught how to live in the world. Uh, we, uh, in John 17, Jesus prayed for his people. He says, I pray not for the world. I pray for those whom you've given me. And there are some who, have, who are yet to come. There are some that he has chosen that will be Christians that are not walking knowing Christ right now, just as we didn't know Christ. But now we know Christ. So this doesn't mean when it says, how blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It doesn't mean that you isolate yourself from these people. You don't isolate yourself. You live life. They're in darkness, you're light. What it means is, if they don't know Christ and they don't know his word, then you do not put them in a position of influence in your life. You interact, but you do not allow them to influence with their wrong concept of what wisdom is. Now he goes on and says this. In verse 2 he says, How blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So who do you listen to? Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, those who mock, those who blaspheme. But watch this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. It's just not talking about financial prosperity. When you follow what God says, and when you follow God's word, God will give you wisdom. And when you follow God's wisdom, you're going to have God's blessing in your life because you're going the right way. There are two kinds of people in the world, and the Scripture describes them different ways. Uh, there are those that are on the broad road. There are those that are going through the narrow gate, Jesus said. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Get, catch that. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. 
Most people are on the wrong path, going the wrong way, and the end is destruction. But narrow is the gate that leads to life. Narrow, tight. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Not a lot of people are on this. It's kind of like a dusty dirt gravel road. It's not the tollway. It's not 75 with, you know, south of 635 going downtown. That used to be two lanes each way, and then they expanded it. That's the wrong road. Broad is the road that leads to, watch this, destruction. Yeah, but see, that's the road they say is wise. It's not wise. It'll kill you. It'll kill you before you get killed. It'll destroy you. Jesus said, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. That's why you don't listen to that wrong stuff. Ah, but my delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, we meditate day and night. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. It's all about the Word of God. And there are different synonyms for the Word of God. Law, precepts, testimonies. It's talking about the benefits of listening to the Lord and listening to a to what he has to say. Opening verses. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. There is, a, there is great favor in following what God says. There is no better life than following Christ. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have it either way. But when you follow him, In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever that the world cannot offer, that the world cannot give. It's following him. And this is forever. It's forever. Just not money. Sometimes you'll have money, sometimes you won't. He gives, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And even when you don't have it, you can have peace. Jesus said, peace not like the world gives. I give a different kind of peace. You can have a joy. You, you, can, you can have a joy in relationships, family. It, it just, it's just sweet. You don't find this anywhere else except by following Christ in his word and walking in his way. Uh, if I had times, I'd go to Proverbs 2, but I don't have time. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. Proverbs 2 teaches the same thing. 1 Corinthians 1. We're talking about wisdom. What's our counter strategy here? The counter strategy is make wisdom a priority. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Uh, we, we got moved into our house right after Thanksgiving, and we're, we're, we're moved in, but we're still moving in. You know how that goes. And one of the things I'm doing is getting my library up, and I got, I'm about two-thirds done, but I'm throwing books around, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting close. But, uh, you know, I, as I put up these books, I realize basically every book I've got, I can get online. But back when I started collecting books, when I went to seminary and you better have this reference set and this reference set because there's usually not a theological library that you can drive to unless you live in a town where there's a seminary. So I started collecting books when I was 20, and 
That was 20 years ago, so they, they, they add up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you look for deals. I, I got a set of encyclopedias, and then under it, I threw up 48 volumes of the great books, the great books of Western civilization published by Britannica. Uh, so you got, uh, I mean, you got Aristotle, you got Plato, uh, you, you got uh, Rousseau, you, you've got Dewey, you, you got them all. If you, if you want to, the, the classics, if you go to a university and you study the classics, those great books are there. So I knew I couldn't go to, you know, I, I can just pull them down. I got to the garage sale, got a deal on 48 books. Here's what the scripture says about those books. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, watch this, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Cross of Christ. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You want wisdom? Then you listen to the one who spoke the worlds into existence and sustains the world. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He spoke it into existence. Look at 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Did you see that? You're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. We didn't used to value God's wisdom. We just valued the world's wisdom. But when we come to Christ, it changes our walk. Um, uh, look at chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. What are we talking about here? We're talking about wisdom. Make wisdom a priority in your life if you're going to live well in evil days, if you're going to give good leadership to your family, if you're going to make a difference, if you're a single guy, whatever the heck you're doing, if you want to live well, you got to make wisdom a priority. And this doesn't mean you don't get an education and all that. Hey, Paul went to Mars Hill in Acts 17, and he could interact with the Greeks, and he knew their philosophy. He knew their stuff. He just didn't buy it. He knew there was a better way. There was a greater way. Okay. Look at verse, um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, watch this. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So all those great books, all that pontification, all that opinion, all of this, in the bottom, bottom line, total analysis, those great books are useless and they're a waste because it's not the wisdom of God. How do I get the wisdom of God? In his word. 
in his word. There's no other way. There, there's, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. How do you get to know Jesus Christ? Through his word. This is why we do Bible study. Uh, turn with me to Romans 12, please. There's tremendous pressure. We, we get all this knowledge. We get all this information. We got all this stuff coming at us. We get these alerts. Our phone beeps. Here's, here's a piece of Here's news. Here's this. Here's this fact. Here, really? This is a fact? I mean, science throws around stuff. This is a fact. It, it's not a fact. It's a theory. Oh, no. Well, we all believe it. Well, right there. I mean, hey. I mean, what are you going to do? Put leeches on me? That used to be medical science. That, 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 was, that was brilliant. Here, let me put some leeches on you and suck blood right out of you. You lay on this sickbed. And, it, it, and they all bought in. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical scientist, a doctor, before he went into Christianity uh, as a pastor, the Lord called him. I, I read one of his articles on science, and he said, one of the reasons you don't believe science is that they're so often wrong. If you know your history, they're wrong all the time. Romans 12. But there's tremendous, there's tremendous pressure to conform. In fact, in the university, if you don't conform, you can't get tenure. If you think, you can't be a part of this university. You've got to be a mindless robot who conforms. Uh, 12.1 of Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That comes from the Scriptures. i got to move to the second point. But we make wisdom a priority. Secondly, Realize that your time is precious. If I want to live wisely, what, 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 what does he say back in, in, in Ephesians there? 5.15, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The, the, the word there translated not as unwise, it really means moral stupidity. Don't walk morally stupid. Now, that's what we used to do. But you see, Christ has redeemed us. Um, i got to move on. Second principle, second counter strategy. Realize, realize your time is precious. The text says, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. By the way, the King James Version, which many of us were raised on, says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See that you walk circumspectly. Is that a word you use often? I don't use often. It's a good word. Uh, the word circumspect comes from two Latin words, which mean looking around. If my friend Bob had really been looking around, he wouldn't have tripped that wire. But you see, it was his first day. 
Six months later, eight months later, a year later, pretty good chance he would have seen that wire. Why? Because he was really looking around. He'd seen some things. Uh, the Greek word for walk carefully or circumspectly comes with the idea of precision and accuracy. See that you walk carefully with exactness. So, so, so get that clear in your mind. Be careful how you walk. Why? There are tripwires. There are landmines everywhere. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And watch this. Making the most of your time, or literally, literally buying the time, using the time, not wasting the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. We've got X amount of time on the earth. All of us have wasted time. All of us have squandered time before we knew Christ. Um, we're walking through life. We had our walk before we knew Christ, and now we have our walk after we know Christ. Um, look at Ephesians 2.1. Throughout Ephesians, it talks about the walk. You're walking through life, I'm walking through life. That's what we're doing today. We're walking through life. We got up early, we did our stuff, we had some appointments, we did this, whatever, yeah, ate lunch, dinner. Here we are, Bible says we're going to go home, hit the sack, get up in the morning, we're going to walk through life. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. We used to walk through life without knowing Christ. All of us. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. You see, that's how Paul used to walk. That's how you used to walk. I used to walk. And then Christ gets a hold of us. So Paul says in 4.1 of Ephesians, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called by Christ. Now you see my walk is going to be different than the walk that I used to have when I was apart from God and didn't know God, but now because Christ is in my life and he's my God and he's my Savior and he's my Master and he is my Lord and the Lord is my Shepherd, I walk differently. You see, note uh, verse 17 of Ephesians 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. That's how we used to walk. But see, as Christians, we're not to fall back into that. Look at 5.1. Uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Watch this. And walk in love. Before we know Christ, we walk in self-love. We're all about ourselves. We're all narcissists. We all worship ourselves. We're in the self Understanding, we're into self-identification, we're into self-deification, we're into self-fulfillment. We're just in the self. We're just a bunch of selfish guys. But you see, when Christ comes into our lives and redeems us and saves us and gives us a new nature, what are the two greatest commandments? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your might, Jesus said. And the second is the same as the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I'm the walk in love now. I'm not to be a narcissist. I'm not to be a selfish guy. It's not all about me. I'm not looking out for number one. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody, and they got a watch, and they got that little black strap. I am second. 
I am second. There you go. That's it. Jesus is first. I'm second. Christian man and his family, I'm looking out for my wife first. I'm looking out for my kids first. You're a Christmas businessman. The guys I know in business who are really loving the Lord, you know what? They're not looking out for themselves. They make decisions. They think about how it's going to affect their employees. They're walking in love. They're concerned. Verse 8, you were formerly in darkness. Now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You see, there's a broad road. There's There's always two groups of people. Some are on the broad road, and then the metaphor is, but you're on the narrow road. Those who don't know Christ are in darkness. If you know Christ, you're in light. So we're walking differently, and we're to walk in wisdom, and we're, we're to walk not unwisely, but wisely because the days are evil. So part of this now is going to affect my time and how I look at the usage of time. I used to waste time. I used to waste it. Now what I want to do with time is that I want to redeem the time. I want to make time be strategic. It doesn't mean that you're always on the clock and you're always, you know, oh, i got to perform and please God. It's that you're mindful of the value of time and what you spend your time doing. As men, we only have, we work, we provide for families, all that. It takes a lot of stuff to provide for a family. You don't have a lot of, um, you, don't, you don't have a lot of leisure time. I, 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 I think this is one of the hallmarks. You've got to watch your leisure time. Guys who don't watch their leisure time get into trouble. You can waste your leisure time. I've seen guys that have three, four kids, and they're successful in business, and they get this idea, hey, I want to play on the PGA Senior Tour. So they start playing four or five rounds a week, and yet they got four or five kids. And I'd say, that's a really lousy use of time. Because the key word in fathering is with. With. You can't father if you're not with. I, uh, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was in the Tampa airport. I just finished doing a Promise Keepers deal, and I'm in the airport, and I had my briefcase, and I'd read everything, and so I'm in the bookstore, I'm looking for something to read, and I see this uh, biography on Joseph Patrick Kennedy, the father of John F. Kennedy. And uh, I looked at it, and I bought it. Big, thick biography, and I read it that week. Uh, the title was Sins of the Fathers. It was about his life, his wretched, wicked, evil life, and how he uh, passed it on to his sons. He had four sons. Joseph was the oldest. He was a pilot. He was going to be groomed to be president, but he was killed in World War II. And many think he was killed on a dangerous mission, fined and flogged, because he was trying to live down the common perception that his father was a coward and an appeaser of Hitler. So he was going to show that he had courage. Cost him his life. This guy was wicked. Uh, within a few weeks, I found another biography that had, just come, that had just come out. Did I say that was called Sins of the Fathers? The second one, and these were all written by Kennedy family, you know, sympathizers. They were for him. This one was called uh, Seeds of Destruction. Uh, there's another one out, which I haven't read, which is called The Poisonous uh, Patriarch. How'd you like to die and have someone write about you and give any one of those three titles? This guy was bad news. This guy was wicked. This guy was evil. He would share women with his sons. When he was 12, he was having, you know, he had the family and, you know, all the kids and the whole thing. 
Read about what he did to his daughter that was mentally challenged. Yeah. Uh, big family man. Owned the movie, the movie studio. He's on a yacht with Gloria Swanson having sex on the deck. Didn't know that young John, who was 12, stowed away, and he comes out on the deck and sees his dad having sex with Gloria Swanson and throws himself into the water to kill himself. And he had to go in and bring him out. Evil. There's a story in one of those books. He's lining up a putt. He had just made a huge business deal. Just made a land, just scored big. He's lining up a putt with some friends in Palm Beach. He's lining up the putt, and one of the guys basically said, hey, Joe, you just scored big, so what are you doing with your time these days? And without looking up from the putt, he said, my work is my son's. As screwed up as he was, he knew that he had X amount of time, and he was going to prioritize his time, and he was going to build as much as he could into his son's. And he was an out-and-out -out pagan and reprobate. At least he got the principle, I better make the most of the time. I got to use my time wisely. You got to use your... So you know what that means? A lot of opportunities come our way. And we got to have a grid from God's wisdom. Man, this is a really good opportunity. Yeah, but you may need to say no because it may not be the best. See what I'm saying? You can't, you can't spend all your time at work if you've got kids. Those kids need you. Oh, I gave them this and I gave them that. Pretty much all the guys in this room, we gave our kids too much. Because we lived in an other age and we didn't have a lot, so we gave our kids too much. At least I did. You know what I found out? My kids don't need things. My kids need me. I don't need to be out in the golf course four times, five times. Nothing wrong with that unless you've got four or five kids. You got to think. These are landmines. Where'd the years go? Oh my gosh, where'd the years go? Well, where'd they go? So we got to redeem the time in relationships. It... Okay. You get this. You can't say no to, you can't say yes to everything. C.S. Uh, uh, C.H. Spurgeon said, learn to say no. It will do you more good than learning to read Latin. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a learned man, uh, uh, you know, could read the classics and the original? Who cares? Who gives a rip? Learn to say no. You can do something with your life. Stay with your godly priorities that are given to you by the wisdom of God that you find in Scripture. If you only see your wife in the driveway as you're on the way to work, and she is too, and you eat dinner together at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're going to have some marriage issues. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time. So you got to pick your spots. Okay. Third counter strategy. Seek to understand his will. Um, verse 17. So then do not be foolish. There it is again. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Oh, yeah, Steve, I'm not sure who I should marry. You know, I'm dating this girl. I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, is it your will for... All right, let's talk about the will of God. You got the general will of God, and you got the specific will of God. The general will of God for Christians is the Word of God, is the Bible. 
You want to know how to live? You read the Bible. He'll tell you how to live. This is the way walkie in it. Uh, read Proverbs. Billy Graham, for years, has read, let me get this right. He's read five, five Psalms a day. Is that right? Three times five is 100. Yeah. All right. He reads five Psalms every morning and one chapter in Proverbs. Psalms and Proverbs are part of what's called wisdom literature. You want, you want wisdom? Read Psalms and read Proverbs and just keep reading it and just keep reading it and just keep reading it. And you'll learn the will of God. There are different um, places in Scripture where it says this is the will of God. You get a concordance and look up the phrase, the will of God, you'll see specific things that are the will of God. First Thessalonians 4 comes to mind. This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to get on your knees. You don't need to fast if you should sleep with your secretary. Oh, God, what's your will here? No, this is the will of God that you abstain, that you don't mess around, that you don't get close to it, that you don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. That's the will of God. So I'm mindful of a guy right now that I've known for a long time. And he has just tripped off several major league landmines in his own life. He knows the Lord. God's been merciful. God's been so gracious to him over the years. But he is, every time he turns around, he's being a fool. And he's tripping wire. He sees the wire, and he still trips it. And I'll tell you one reason he's doing this is because he's hanging out with the wrong people. I just found out about this a couple weeks ago. I've done ministry with this guy. He knows Christ. He's been redeemed by Christ. And I had a conversation with someone the other day who was very concerned about him, has known him much longer than I have, is very close to him and his family. You know what they said to me? They said, you know what the real root core issue is in his life? And I said, no. They said, it's the love of money. He loves money. And he had a business that some Christian guys invested in, and it just took off and did really well. And then someone came along who is very well known. Every guy in this room would know their name if I told you their name. Made him an offer, et cetera, et cetera. You come in with us, da, da, da. And he starts hanging out with those. He starts standing in the path of sinners, and they start influencing. And before you know it, he starts compromising and sending out uh, pictures, you know, tweets with famous people and this, and drinking with stewardesses, flight attendants, and private jets, and da 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 da. So he's just walked away from his wife and his kids, involved with the secretary. It's tragic. Won't call me back or anybody else. And he understands what the will of the Lord is because he studied the book. See, James said, don't just be hearers, but be doers. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is taking the principles of God's word and applying it to your situation. Oh, that secretary, this new secretary, she's hot. Well, why'd you hire her? Don't hire hot secretaries. 
Well, she can type 180 words a minute. Fine. Go find a, uh, go find a homely woman. A woman who's not attractive to you. Who can type 180 words a minute. You, you understand what I'm saying. If you date her, don't hire her. Why would you tempt yourself? That's a landmine. Don't be stupid. Use your head. Run. Flee immorality. God's general will is his word. You want to know God's word? Read his word. Uh, Another specific thing in 1 Peter 5, it says, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If you're going through a time of suffering, know that it's God's plan for you to suffer because that's how he matures men. There are certain statements in Scripture that tell me this is the will of God. But what about, well, but I, should I take this job or not? Well, you see, now you're not, the, the Scripture is not going to give you a verse and tell you exactly what to do. So, well then, but I need some specific wisdom. All right, let me give you a verse, James 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach. So 18 months ago, 20 months ago, we had a property up for sale. Uh, got a call early Sunday morning. We got an offer coming through. This looks serious. And it's coming in at 10 a.m. Wow, okay. And so the agent calls me and they, this, and, and they, want, and they got this. I said, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. And I'm talking to Mary. I said, we can't do that. Oh, but they, I can't do that. I can't do that in wisdom. All right, I'll get back to you. And then we get another call. And we're all, you've been in these deals. You know, you're trying to put this together. So then I'm on the phone with my CPA. And he's between services in Sunday school down at church somewhere. And I'm running that by him. And then the agent comes through. Okay, well, they don't need that. And then, and at a certain point, we were waiting for them to call back. And Mary was on the phone. I can't remember what it, I walked into my study. I shut the door. And I opened my Bible to James 1. And I said, God, i got to have your wisdom. There's too much writing on this. I don't know who these people are. I don't know if this is. I've got some concerns here, here, and here. And I can't move ahead without your wisdom. I need you to make this crystal clear to me. And I'm probably going to need it in the next 10 minutes. And I'm going to tell you something. We got back together, and he made it crystal clear. Crystal clear. My concern here, oh, I did, oh, really? I, hmm, I didn't know those comps were that. Yeah, they are. Oh. Okay. Peter Drucker has a phrase, when the facts are clear, the decision jumps out at you. Ask God to show you the facts of your situation. Well, should I marry this girl? She's not a Christian. Then don't marry her. It's not the will of God. You'd be an idiot to marry her. She'd be an idiot to marry you. Because you're unequally yoked. You've got two different gods going on. And when you, how are you going to raise your kids? Wisdom is thinking long-term about the consequences of the immediate decision. Enough on that. If you ask God, he'll show you his will. He'll give you wisdom. He'll navigate you. Fourth principle. Am I on number four? Yep. Fourth principle. Fourth, fourth principle. Don't be a drunk. Look at uh, 
verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. When I say don't be a drunk, here's the problem with drunkenness. Uh, the Bible never forgive, the, the Bible never forbids the usage of alcohol, but it forbids the abuse of alcohol. Okay? Throughout the Bible, drunkenness is condemned. Don't be drunk with wine. Why not? Because when you're drunk with wine, the wine is controlling you. When you are drunk with wine, you cannot walk wisely. How many problems occur when somebody gets drunk? How many problems occur when someone goes off to college and they just party and it's just one big, long drunk? Your speech is wrong. Your attitude is wrong. Your perception is wrong. People get killed when somebody's drunk. The, the core problem of drunkenness is lack of self-control. That's why the scriptures say don't be drunk with wine. There are all kinds of drunkenness. There, there, there's drunkenness of alcohol. There's drunkenness of meds. There's drunkenness uh, of power. There's drunkenness of control. There's the drunkenness of money. First Timothy 6 warns about the love of money, which is a snare and a trap and a temptation and the cause of many a pain. But Steve, I got to have money. I know. I know. Joe Lewis said, I don't love money, but it has a way of calming my nerves. <laughs> yeah, just don't make money your God. You love Christ. The problem of drunkenness is lack of self-control. That's Ephesians 5, what is it, 18? Flip over one book back and look at Galatians. And I know I'm out of time. That's never stopped me before. <laughs> Look at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know what the Lord wants in our lives? Don't be drunk with wine or money or power or anything else. Don't, the, the issue of drunkenness is control. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The idea is very simple. Don't be drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the idea. As I'm walking through life, I'm controlled by the Spirit of God who lives within me. I'm out of time. But if I had time, here's what I would do. And I'm not going to do it in depth. But I would suggest, if, if you look at this passage... 518 all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9. It's all one section. He talks about don't be drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And a lot of times people say oh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and there's ecstatic utterance, and there's this and this and this, and you have that in Scripture. Okay. Well, that's the norm for being filled with the Spirit. No, it isn't. The test of being filled with the Spirit is what your home is like. And how you relate to other people. 
There are traits of being filled with the Spirit. And when you think being filled with the Spirit, don't think filled, think controlled. I want to be controlled by Christ. I want Christ to control me. I want to be under His control. When He is controlling me, I'm under self-control. I'm not impulsive. I'm not stupid. Before I make a decision, I look carefully with perspective. I, I look before I leap because I'm under control. That's wisdom. You see? When he says in 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, he's going to give the characteristics when the Spirit controls you. He affects your speech in verse 19. Your speech is different when you're controlled by the Word of God. Uh, by the way, look back at, look back at uh, 4.29, where it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. In a situation with your wife, it's knowing how to respond appropriately and carefully with your kids. Lord, give me your wisdom. Control me here so that I'll know how to respond to this. It affects your speech. 20, it affects your attitude. Uh, 21, it affects your willingness to submit to those who are in authority over you. Your boss, the government, a police officer. All right, now watch this. Then it immediately goes to wives. Then in verse 25, it goes to husbands. Then in verse, uh, chapter 6, it goes to children. Then in, in verse 4 of, of 6, it goes to fathers. It's talking about these people. Oh, they go to these meetings. We have this glorious experience with the Holy Spirit. The whole, hey, listen, you can have all these wonderful experiences and all that in public and in big meetings. But the question is, what do you like at home? If you're controlled with the Holy Spirit, it ought to make a difference in your family. That's what this is saying. Now, if I had time, which I don't, I'd take you to Colossians 3.16, which says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Okay? Say, okay, well, what does that have to do with this? Well, here's what it has to do with that. When it says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and then it gives the traits of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, you know what, the next tra you know what it deals with first? Your speech. Secondly, your attitude. Third, your submission to authority. Then it goes to wives. Then it goes to husbands. Then it goes to children. Then it goes to fathers. If you take two Bibles, put them out, Ephesians 5, 18, and Colossians 3, and compare them, one section says, be filled with, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The other one says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And they're exactly the same. You know what that tells me? I took a course in logic. It tells me they're the same thing. Letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you and being controlled by the Spirit is exactly the same thing. It's just two sides of the same coin. On one side of the coin is be controlled by the Spirit. Yeah, but how does he control me? By letting the word of Christ richly dwell within me. And I yield and I obey. Yeah, that's it. That's how you walk wisely at home. That's how you walk wisely through life. And we're in process. The days are evil, guys. But God's at work, and he uses men just like us. Let's be careful how we walk.
There's an old hymn, some of you have heard it. Rise up, O men of God. Let's wise up, O men of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these men. Apply this to our hearts as we ponder on our way home. Give us rest tonight as we sleep. You give to your beloved even in their sleep. When we get up in the morning, there'll be new mercies waiting for us that come from your hand. We would ask that you would give us wisdom to walk carefully. Let us see the landmines before they take us down. In your name we pray. Amen.